What's up, Ghostbusters Minute fans? Thank you so much for tuning in to our first bonus episode. This is our review of Ghostbusters 2016. We've got to let you know right from the top that the review is full of spoilers. So unless you care about having the film spoiled for you, go out and see it and come back and listen to our review of Ghostbusters 2016. Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute, a very special episode of Ghostbusters Minute, where today we're not actually going to be recapping or overanalyzing the 1984 film Ghostbusters. In fact, today we are going to be reviewing the 2016 Ghostbusters. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we are here to do just that. So, Brady, we saw Ghostbusters the other night. We did. Yeah. Um, and I think we have kind of some interesting opposite opinions of, of, of everything uh, that, that we saw. Is that correct? Yeah, a little bit. You yeah. know, and it's not going to be as polarizing as I'm sure some other podcasts out there are going to be where yeah. people are just going to be reaching over the table trying to strangle each other over their, you know, opinion of the movie. No, um, no. I mean, we, we talked about it just a little bit. I think we tried to save most of our opinions so we could kind of throw them out and yeah. talk about that here. But So this is one of our bonus episodes, but this is a bonus for everybody. Usually this would be gated just for the Patreon subscribers. Uh, what we're going to try to do is once a week we're going to do a Patreon episode on something kind of uh, tangentially related or lateral to Ghostbusters. I think we're going to be doing a Ghostbusters cartoon review coming up soon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very soon actually. Uh, and a lot of other fun stuff. So if you want to get on that, if you enjoy what you hear to today and want to support Ghostbusters Minute, all we're asking for is a dollar a month and you get four premium shows out of that. That's right. Every uh, every weekend. Every weekend basically is what we're going to try to do there. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into what you would get if you were a Patreon member. Uh, and of course, you can always subscribe via Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. That's patreon.com slash gbminute. And again, we only ask for a dollar a month. So Brady, 2016 yeah. Ghostbusters. Let's talk about a couple years ago. Dan Aykroyd's going around to uh, different media outlets talking about a Ghostbusters 3. What it, were your thoughts when you heard that? It seemed like every week you would get on, oh, yeah. let's say, SlashFilm.com or AinItCoolNews.com, and you would see a headline saying, Dan Aykroyd announces Ghostbusters 3 is going to be shooting this fall. Right. And it was all the time. And the thing that was always holding it up was Bill Murray just wasn't on board. Yeah, I believe the the way that Ghostbusters as a property worked was Bill Murray had to be one of the there was it was Ivan Reitman, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and then Columbia Pictures all together had to have a total say in it. I, I could right. be wrong with that, but I think eventually that was bought out by Sony completely, and then they developed the Ghost Corps, which is the unit now that controls all this. So like Disney has the Lucasfilm Story Group, right? Marvel has the Story Group that they, that kind of plots out where all their pictures go. Right. So Ghost Corps is that for Ghostbusters property because they saw the audience was. Every time they talk about the Dan Aykroyd would talk about Ghostbusters three, there was this huge uptick in interest. And I want to say I read something like uh, Sony makes fifty five million dollars a year on Ghostbusters merchandise without a movie being related to it. Just you know, harkening back to the to the first two movies and the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Right. So if that's not an indication of the power of a Ghostbusters motion picture is going to be, yeah, you know. So if you're a studio executive and you're looking at all the properties you could be emphasizing on, it's it's a no-brainer that there's a, a rabid fan base for Ghostbusters out there and people want more Ghostbusters content. That's right. Have you ever seen the Ghost Core offices on Sony Lot? Yeah, I just did today. It's I was, really cool. It's very cool. It looks yeah. like uh, the Hook and Ladder number 8 yeah, building. Yeah, the Firehouse. Yeah, the Firehouse. Uh, and the, the, the story group works from there. And we're going to get into it in a little bit, but they, they do have plans for 
many more movies, apparently. Something like four or five more movies. Yeah, movies, that cartoons, are, comic books, uh, mm-hmm. all number of stuff. Yeah, So, but right now they went ahead and did the 2016 Ghostbusters. So it looked like, like you were saying, Bill Murray was the, the holdout on the whole thing. That's right. That he kind of felt like he was a steward of the property, and he wanted to make sure that movies that came out uh, with the Ghostbusters license, if he was going to be involved in them, they'd be top-notch, and he wasn't satisfied with what he was hearing. Yeah, and I think he rarely does sequels. And if I'm not mistaken, the only sequel he's ever been a part of was Ghostbusters 2. And right. I really think that if it just wasn't up to the level of quality of the first one, excuse me, um, then he just was, you know, he didn't want to be a part of it. He didn't want to patronize the quality of the original movie. And uh, I remember there was a 30th anniversary reunion on, I think it was Good Morning America last year. And they asked him, what's the holdup? Like, you're the, you are the reason that there was never a Ghostbusters 3. And his answer was simple. It was, you know, you can't... Uh, recapture that lightning in a bottle that we had with the first one. So let's not even try. Yeah. And you could tell that the other actors around were kind of like, yeah, Bill, what's the holdup? Why don't you want to do this? And it's, it's more than a paycheck. It's more than just a powerhouse at the box office. That guy is actually concerned with the quality of the work that he's in. So we roll around a few years later and the untimely passing of Harold Ramis happens and all ability to make a Ghostbusters through with the original or with the original cast is just no more. You can't do that. Yeah. So Sony decides we're going to go ahead and reboot the franchise. A, a new continuity is a new canon, and we're going to hire director Paul Feig to do it. Paul Feig comes out and immediately says, we're going to redo this with an entirely new cast. It's going to be all female Ghostbusters. And we know what happened when that was originally announced. And you know, there's other people have said a lot about that. I don't think we're really going to get into that discussion. Um, but the cast that was chosen was just some of the greatest uh, female comedian minds right now. That's right. Very on par with who, you know, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis were back, you know, right. some odd years ago. Some Saturday Night Live alums, That's some right. improv alums, uh, Paul Feig's muse, Melissa McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> and uh, Paul Feig is the, is the right guy to do it. I think his brand of humor is just yeah dry enough just adult enough but not so over the top that it's it's a you know cut off for everybody it's a lot of improv oh yeah absolutely and uh i think the cast that he rounded up was great it's perfect guys girls doesn't matter they're funny people so thursday night you get your tickets yeah you go to see ghostbusters uh tell me about your thoughts before you go into the theater so you know thursday it's it's finally here there's the big third ghostbusters film whether it was a, an installment to the original series or not and so we go to the theater, and we sit down, lights go down, there's like, as usual, 30 minutes of trailers, but uh, weren't a whole lot of people in the theater. Yeah, mine Any, too. Yeah, I know. Well, it was a strange time on the day before. You know, why say it's opening Friday when it's, it's opening Thursday all day? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the movie opens, and the Ghost Corps logo comes up, and I thought that was neat. Yeah. And, uh, and then it just rolls right into the movie. And even though the movie kind of opens up very similarly to the first one, just in terms of like being in a public place, the library, this, you know, a historical landmark, yeah, historical landmark. And then almost beat by beat, it follows exactly what's going to happen. Um, it didn't feel like a Ghostbusters movie, which I thought, okay, good start. Mm-hmm. You know, here we are. They're not just trying to mimic it completely. And then there's this awkward shot where the go the, perspective the point of view of the ghost is kind of moving in on the tour guide and all of a sudden this the credits open and there's the original theme and everything just hit a really awkward note for me Mm -hmm. and that awkward note kind of carried through the rest of the movie Mm. and it's one of those things you can't really put your finger on and it was still a 
you know, very top quality movie. It was really well made and everything, but there was just this, there was something awkward in the air. And I really attribute it to Chris, Hem- Chris Hemsworth. I think the Chris Hemsworth joke kind of stopped at the casting of Chris Hemsworth. Really? It's like, you know, okay, there's this really good looking guy who's going to be the secretary. And that's and funny. you don't think they really no, I mean, that's, beyond that? That's kind of where the joke stops. And he does all his like cute, you know, uh, clueless stuff. And, uh, you know, some of the jokes in there really worked. I like the thing about him, uh, you know, asking if his cat could come. And then to yeah. him, it's just completely natural. Uh, the fact that Kristen Wiig is always putting the moves on him and everyone's like, oh, no, you can't do that. We're going to get sued. Yeah. But beyond that, it was just kind of like, it's this thing that was there. And then the whole dance number at the end, everybody I was with was going crazy over it. And I'm like, what the hell was that? Be it a Ghostbusters movie or not, this is just weird. It didn't detract from it from me, but that wasn't one of my favorite points. I was like, oh, I see. They edited out this out of the movie because this would have been very strange. You know, yeah. It does seem kind of like a victory lap type thing at the very end. Like, this has nothing to do with the movie, but let's just have fun. You know, like an outtake reel or something like mm-hmm. that. In fact, the entire closing credit sequence felt like that for me. But I liked some of it. I, the dancing thing didn't really bother me, but I didn't love it. But I did like some of the gags that were in the final reel. Here's one thing I really did like about it. Uh, The movie really took its time to build up. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed uh, Kristen Wiig's character, Erin. I really enjoyed her journey and how she had to be roped back in and the time that it took for them to do that. And that kind of gave the movie some weight, for sure. Yeah, Uh, I really liked the the moment when the clip was on YouTube or whatever, and it was her freaking out and there was all this rousing music and then it just pauses. Yeah. And the Dean or the whoever dean. Charles Dance was playing was just like, what, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought everything involving, you know, her character was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, her relationship with the other girls, it just kind of felt like a big, awkward episode of Friends. And whenever they are, whenever they get out of the car and they're about to go in and bust the ghost and they're in their uniforms for the first time and they both say let's go mm-hmm. but at different times and then they follow it up with oh did you want to you'll do it okay next time yeah you just and i'm just like what oh the hell i like that joke well yeah that, that's that's kind of like that paul feig kind of natural improv type thing i think that i like mm-hmm. that you know he kind of lets people do weird stuff like that i will say this and you saying that that reminds me that i, I want to go see the movie a second time and i want to see oh, i do too it, yeah i want to see if it hits on a different level Mm-hmm. And uh, if I might be able to get past some of the things that I didn't like and see if some of the things that I did like hold up on a second viewing. You know, I can yeah. watch the original Ghostbusters time and time and time again, and I'm going to laugh at the same things every time. Mm-hmm. So I want to see if this movie's uh, high points do hold up on repeated viewings. Yeah. Well, when I think about this movie, I have to look at it through the modern lens of filmmaking, which isn't... Okay, so in 1984, when this movie was made, clearly it was a a work of passion by Dan Aykroyd that he studied quantum physics and all this stuff, and he had a a huge mythology built for the movie, and he wrote it from there. It was a point of... a, a passion project for him. Then when he brought it over to... Uh, to Ivan Reitman, they spent a long time, re, you know, uh, making it, I- improving it and saying, okay, what, what could actually play for an audience? Where can we improve this? And it was like artists working on something. When I look at this movie in 2016, uh, and I don't think this is a cynical thing because this is just the way that films work today. It, it's, it's about franchise building. Mm-hmm. It's about world building. It's about uh, connected universe. I mean, this is the whole Marvel effect, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, we want to do our Marvel thing, too. We want to have, like, four or five different Universal monster movies that connect and make this big world. Yeah. But it's like, 
do you have the discipline to do that? Like Marvel is built so much that Kevin Feig is, you know, the final say at the top of that. It used to be Ike Pillermenter, I think was the guy's name. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's it's Kevin Feig and the Marvel Story Group. And apparently if you go to the Marvel offices, they have a giant wall of like through 2025, like all of their Jeez. like note cards of just like, this is what has to happen here. So what has to happen here. It's thought out. There's a group of people with a, deci- with a decision maker at the top working with the creators of these properties to make sure that they have a giant connected universe. I don't know that other studios have that... That discipline. That discipline, right. I think that they just say, hey, let's get a a couple of art, like Warner Brothers, for example. Mm -hmm. They have this artist-driven thing for the DC Universe, and so far I think it has not worked at all for their connected movies. I didn't hate the... um, I hated Man of Steel. (laughs) I didn't hate Batman versus Superman. I think Suicide Squad looks great. So when you take like different directors and you say, hey, you put your spin vision on this, uh, you get wildly different movies as opposed to having someone say, this is how we make our movies. You know, like Guardians of the Galaxy, if you put that up against Captain America Civil War, you know, they both kind of play to you and their stories unfold in a specific way, right? right? So when I look at this movie, I feel like there were a lot of studio notes that Kate Dippold, the screenwriter, had to follow, and I feel that that's very apparent in the final act of the movie. And I, I think her screenwriting is really good. I like I like this movie. I, I want to say that up front. Coming out of it, I, I really liked it. I want to go see it again. Uh, I can't wait for oh, them. Oh, yeah. No, she's a very talented writer. Yeah. I, I like her work quite a bit. Paul Feig, for that matter, as well. But um, yeah. there, it does feel like there's uh, some things that were kind of handed to her and strongly suggested. I, I feel the same way with Jurassic World. I and, think those guys were handed a lot of oh, studio Oh, notes. yes. That movie is three different movies yeah. together in a blender. Lots and see of what dress, comes out. Yeah, staple together. So I think with them, they were like, hey, let's get some good comedians in. Oh, guys, by the way, at the end of the movie, uh, right. we have to have a giant portal that needs to be closed because that's what worked in everything, you know, in the Avengers. Do you remember in Ed Wood when the guy... the Guy who's going to be giving him all the money, the big oh, Texans, yes. uh-huh. like, uh, so it's going to end with a big explosion, and right. my son is going to play the hero, or whatever it is. Yeah, uh-huh. he's like, well, that wasn't in the script. He's like, well, it is now. Yeah, so it, it <laughs> and and, and like that's that. for for better or worse, that's how filmmaking works. You know, like you're contacted by the studio, and they're like, hey, we have this property that uh, has worked in the past. We somehow got the rights in a garage sale. And we need for you to come in and do it. But at the end, it has to do with this other movie did because that worked really well in China, you know, which is hilarious because this movie didn't even open in China, you know, but it's given the, the, the robust strength of the Chinese economy over the last few years, people try to tailor their movies so that they can um, appeal to different cultures. Right? right. I mean, look at something like Avatar, which yeah. saw it, you know, it's kind of been forgotten more or less here in a, the States, but in China, I mean, that movie is still just soaring. Oh, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no. And it, if, if you, you know, it was funny because whenever, uh, Walt Disney Parks announced that they were going to build an Avatar park and or an Avatar section to Animal Kingdom. A lot of people were freaking out, like I don't like Avatar. Nobody likes Avatar. It made a bunch of movie, but they don't realize that they're building that for an international market. So you know, I, I think that this movie, especially at the end, was definitely tailored for an international audience. Not that there's any problem with that because that's just that that's just all, the way yeah. movies are made. A lot. I, I love Marvel films. There's not mm-hmm. one that I've seen that I don't like. They're made for international audiences, right? They're, they're true to character and stuff like that. But I felt that with the original Ghostbusters in 1984, it felt like a passion project that was written by people that wanted to um, make something new. And they had like a really strong idea of what they wanted to do. And I feel like this one, and I'm not being cynical here, this is just the way business works, is that uh, Kate Dippold was handed these notes like this has to happen. And I feel like maybe they had the first half of the movie to kind of do what they want. And I think that works better for me. I thought the getting the team together part. Oh, yeah. 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 I thought the first half was... Uh 
definitely the stronger half of the movie. The first sequence in this movie, everything that happened at uh, at that's Boston Community College Castle, uh, not Boston Community College, excuse me, Boston University Castle. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a text the other day. He's like, check out where I am. And he was walking into the castle. No it's just there on campus. You go down to the uh, basement, you can have a beer. It's like a bar down there. What? Yeah, so when he's getting, uh, the caretaker's getting sucked into all the slime. By the way, I love uh, schlocky, cheesy stuff, but there was a point where the stairs broke from under him and his feet started spinning like Scooby-Doo. Did you see that? <laughs> no. like, like when Shaggy's trying to get away from a monster and his yeah. feet just spin in midair, uh, I think that happened. I and, did think the uh, when he throws the chair into the air and it's caught by yes. whatever is standing, that was pretty cool. But th- there was a tone to that original part up until the slime started coming out of the ground that was pretty spooky. Oh, yeah, uh, and yeah, I, yeah. I think when they went back to, um, and I, I forget the name of the the the, the castle, it's like I Harding Castle or something like that. When they went back to encounter the ghost there the first time, like they did with the Gray Lady uh, in in Ghostbusters 1984, that that all worked super well. I was like, you know what? I don't need the big action sequences. This could all be them discovering what a proton pack is for this entire movie and, and just, and busting ghosts on a very small yeah. level. I would have probably been more interested in that. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but you know, I, I, I don't, this movie didn't fail for me in a lot of places other than the last like five minutes of it. I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this is a little it's weird. It's that obligatory big rousing ending. Yeah. You know, it's, you can feel a movie beat by beat, Beat for beat these days, just knowing ahead of time what's going to happen. Right, and and it did something that I really don't like in movies. Uh, the the time frame was very abbreviated. Like this movie was a couple of days. Right, the original Ghostbusters solves the time thing by having that montage in the middle right. of it, saying like, "Hey, these guys are establishing themselves as a big deal," and they're also telling you that, "Hey, ghost activity is upticking in New York. There's right. something going on here." I can't tell you. Yeah, the time frame of this movie. I have no. Yeah, well, I mean, they, no they had they had the one bust, right? They went to the Aussie concert and got the the Baphomet looking demon, uh, which uh, was that that really didn't work for me a whole lot. It felt like way too studio produced. And oh, here's a weird thing about this movie: Bob Yeoman was the cinematographer. He's the cinematographer for all of Wes Anderson's movies. I, this movie was a 3D movie because again, they want to hit international 3D stuff. And I, I kind of want to see it again in 3D because I think the giant battle at the end would have been yeah, really cool in 3D. Cool. It was a good looking movie. Oh, uh, it's great. And uh, but it didn't look like a Bob Yeoman movie. It didn't look like uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. It didn't look like Moonrise Kingdom or Rushmore. You know, it looked like. Um, Bridesmaids, which he also shot, but there wasn't a whole lot of moving camera in it. It was all kind yeah. of still staging. And man, and, I can't tell you how sick I am of that camera on a rope type thing. Mm-hmm. God, it just gets so... Ugh. What, you you don't like moving cameras, or you just like... No, the, no, I, I don't mind moving cameras, but this whole thing these days where I think camera on a rope is the right term. Um, it's just your camera's hitting every possible axis for the sake of doing it. Camera's oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. they're stationary. moving through like a blue screen type yeah, yeah, thing exactly, around exactly. characters and stuff. Yeah, And that works in a lot of movies, but... I, I like stationary stuff for setting up uh, situations. Let's talk. Let's kind of break the movie down yeah, and talk yeah, about yeah. the different aspects. So yeah, let's, let's talk about um, uh, Kristen Wiig's character, Aaron. Yeah, Aaron Gilbert. Yeah, Aaron Gilbert. Um, I, I was really surprised with how she and Melissa McCarthy both played their characters very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. straight. I mean, usually they're kind of like a little bit kooky in movies. Did you see? Um, oh God, is it the, her movie on Netflix? Kristen Wiig's. It's like a Return to Me, or Remember Me, or no, I haven't. Me Now, or something like that. It's really funny. It's about this like woman with some mental issues who wins the lottery. And then she just starts blowing her money on all this really extreme stuff. And she wants to be on TV, so she makes her own TV show just to put herself on the air. Really? Yeah, it's really funny. Check that out. But, you know, she's great at playing out there crazy characters. I tell you what. Yes, she is. Her range and her ability to project so much through so much subtlety, 
I'll go I'll go out on a limb here. I think she deserved an Oscar nomination for her bridesmaids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it was it was do. nominated for screen uh, screenplay, right? Uh, that I'm not sure. Yeah. I was best supporting actress for Melissa McCarthy. Which oh, was, was it? Great yeah, too, but yeah. Kristen Wiig is. I thought she was better in the movie. Honestly, is, yeah, yeah, deserving of recognition for so much more than just her comedic work. And she yeah. does a lot of dramatic work, and she's great in that as well. I mean, she's uh, people always say she's a national treasure. She is. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, she's no fantastic. Yeah. But I, I, I think that they definitely told her like, hey, look, we want to make more of these movies. Uh, just play this character a little bit straightforward. Don't you know? I, I guess she was supposed to be the Peter Venkman. Uh, character in this movie, yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I enjoyed what she did. I enjoyed what Melissa McCarthy did. Um, I I, I kind of wish that she had done a little bit more of her improv stuff. You know that she's kind of famous for, mm-hmm. like the whole thing in Bridesmaids about you know f- falling off of a yacht of a cruise ship and getting like a ping pong, <laughs> like a, a pinball on the way down, and then looking into a dolphin's eyes and seeing its soul. Oh, it's so funny, yeah. and so you can tell she was just like really going off the top of her head. Like I'll tell you this: you can tell that they kind of fit the mold of the original characters in a way, but they still made them their own mm-hmm. yeah. so well. So in that regard, this movie was paying its respect, uh, paying its respect to the first movie, but still distancing itself enough to be on its own. And they did that incredibly well. Yeah. And one way they did that is I thought that uh, Leslie Jones characters, Patty was, uh, it was, it was included so much more than Winston Zedmore was in, in the 1984 film. And I was really surprised with how straightforward she played it as well. Yeah, In terms of her, like not being a part of the original crew and coming in halfway through and being sort yeah. of an everyman, but um, she came through like maybe like a, yeah. a, a quarter away into this movie and it, her character totally made sense. They needed somebody there who knew the history of New York, because that's one of the things that this movie is the ghost of New York are coming and back. Not just a way to explain things for the audience. Someone's right. saying like, so what you're saying is, yeah. And, and she's like, Oh, this ghost is here because, up above us is where yeah. they executed the guy. And you know? I'd say her character might have had her shit together more than mm-hmm. the others. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, and, and on Saturday Night Live, she's her shtick is kind of that she's kind of like bombastic. You know, she's always hitting mm-hmm. on the guy in the news and stuff like that. And this, she was definitely way more straightforward. And I really enjoyed what she did with the character. And uh, she was an integral part of the team. Yeah. You know, seeing Charles okay. Dance show up was great because I love Charles Dance. Tywin Lannister. He's great. There you go. Yeah. But uh, what he, was his um, name in Last Action Hero? Was it Benedict or something? It might have been. You know, I can't tell you, you know, what 18 times 3 is off the top of my head. I can't tell you exactly how to drive to certain places in my hometown that I've been to so many times. But I can tell you Charles Dance's character's name in Last Action Hero. The important stuff sticks. Exactly. You know, the little stuff falls away. But so let's talk about Kate McKinnon. Let's talk about Kate McKinnon. Did it work for you? Um, I think Kate McKinnon was either in a whole different movie here. Or just kind of underwritten. Kate McKinnon is hilarious. She's very talented. I think she's um, one of the better members on SNL presently. But she just wasn't really doing a whole lot here. And maybe that was the idea and I just didn't pick up on it or something. But it was, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't really quite meld with the the other three. And maybe that's maybe that was the idea. But for mm-hmm. me, it was just kind of like she was. she just sort of felt like she was there. Hmm. And that's a shame because she's so funny. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like I think what she's doing in this movie is going to work for you or it's going to not. And several women that I know have seen this movie like love her. I think it's fantastic. You know, I it I didn't hate what she was doing, but it felt to me like they were like, hey, uh, you know, she's the modern face of SNL. We got to get in her get, get her in here to do this. She developed this character as the same way she would a character that would be in like a five minute sketch in Saturday Night Live, where the shtick that she was doing probably would have worked a lot better there. But when you get to scene three, 
and she's still doing the same stuff she was doing before, you know, like really crazy and weird. It's kind of like, have I seen everything that this character has, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that she would have benefited from a little bit more dialogue where she could have uh, said things about her character instead of just being straight up crazy. Yeah. You know? and, like and, clearly she was this mechanic who's a genius. She talks about Faraday cages and I like the scene where she had all the new weapons out and was trying to explain. Oh yeah, when she was just going off, it was hilarious. Yeah. Or when she, she puts the collar on Aaron and she's yeah, like, yeah. what's your iron level? Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. like that, that, that's, that's just funny, but I kind of wanted a little bit more uh, heart and soul to her character like Egon had. I think that's the best way of putting it. Everything yeah. that I'm rambling on about uh, can simply be said that there just wasn't a whole lot of, I don't know. You know what there was a lot of? Reaction shots of her. Mm-hmm. were very strange. They were just kind of like, especially when they were interviewing Chris Hemsworth, there was a lot of looks of her just kind of like trying to size the guy up like, is this dude for real? Yeah. Because it's a very strange, just kind of like, oh. And it, kind of, it took me out of it. Yeah, Every I, shot that I, she's I in, like, I'm okay, I'm, I'm where she's still here. You know? Yeah, I'm focused on her strangely enough doing absolutely nothing and mm-hmm. hey that's a testament to her charisma is the fact that she doesn't have to be doing anything yeah and it's all eyes on her i'm sure like if you or i if kate mckinnon called us up right now and she's like we're going out to get the spaghetti dinner tonight and the three of us sat at a table you and i would be vomiting from yeah. laughter um when you get that in you, you don't give them like her dancing to, to the deburge song was really funny i thought that was really <laughs> cute or like when she initially goes hey you come here often and lights up the uh <laughs> the flamethrower yeah. i thought that was great um, but I kind of wish there was a little bit more background to her character. I think that's that's what I needed. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's definitely not her fault. But at the end, you know, where she's like dual pistol wielding yeah. the ghosts and stuff, yeah. that was really cool. And, yeah. you know, so again, and that's, I think the, the, the promise, the thing, the big takeaway of I, why I like this movie as much as I did is it gives me promise for more movies that are going to be, if I heard tomorrow that they're going to, or like on Monday when the numbers come out for this, if they're good, if they're like, oh, we're rolling into production, Ghostbusters 2, 2018, I'd be so happy. That's something I don't think we've ever seen in Ghostbusters uh, franchise so far is, you know, what's the next one? Mm-hmm. What's the next one going to be? And then with Ghostbusters 2, of course it came and I don't think it was quite what anybody was expecting or in some cases even wanted. But uh, I can't wait to see where they're going to go next with this. Yeah. I really am excited. What did you think about Chris Hemsworth? I mean, I like Chris Hemsworth in anything. I, I thought he was, uh, he was funny. Mm-hmm. It was just the idea kind of stopped at the idea of him being in this movie. We got all these women and then a hot guy as their secretary. And then everything he did after that was... I was just like, okay, okay, I, I get it, I get it. And then, what in the hell is this dance number? Yeah. So I, I, I liked, I really liked him. He was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. I hated to say that there was this cast of women and the guy, the person I liked the most in the movie was the dude, but it kind of like, on a meta level, like, he was playing a, like an idiot, like dumb bimbo, a mimbo, I think was what they called it on Seinfeld, like an idiot who who just was out of his league with all these other people, right? He's just this hot piece of meat that was in there answering the phones. But uh, the dialogue written for him, I don't know how much of that was improv or how much of was actually uh, written in the script, but the whole thing about my cat, Mm-hmm. No, that's my dog named my cat, Michael Hat. Yeah. You know, like that yeah. was so funny. I was cracking up, and I thought that he played it. He got this the the note to play it straight faced, right? Oh like, yeah. They were like, oh, you know, try to do this as straight as you can. Don't really choose scenery. And um, through that, he kind of did what you know because he 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 leaned into it so hard. So I thought he was fantastic, and I thought there there his relationship with everyone where he was kind of like this little goofy brother that they almost kind of looked out for. Uh, I, I really liked that too. So, um, what did you think about uh, Rowan, the the bad guy? I was just about to ask. It worked when Aaron started reading the book, yeah, and the drawings of him and yeah. how that was part of his plan. That was awesome. That was cool. Yeah. What did you like? It? So, okay, so here's here's a weird thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the actor's name. I'm I'm trying to actually pull it up right now because well, hold on. I thought that was really cool with the uh, 
the book and the drawings and she's sort of and that, that was a brilliant move in terms of like writing as well as showing you what you've got coming and that this guy is a force to be reckoned with and the fact that he's willing to kill himself in this horrible way so that he can ascend he can become this big bad terrible thing to carry out whatever it is that he wants I, I can all and you know and, and talking about it and thinking about it a little bit more it does work a little bit more for me mm-hmm. um and that actor, I, I like that actor. Yeah, uh, Neil Casey is his name. And yeah. you've kind of seen him stuff the last few years. He did uh, some great stuff on Kroll Show. Have you ever seen the Nick Kroll show, Kroll Show? Uh, no, I'm familiar with it. It's that. very funny, but he um, has is a, played a character on there who's like a conspiracy theorist. And I think his what he's great at is delivering... Uh, dialogue that is steeped in like really uh, like complicated words and stuff like that and not slipping up and like looking at you and like really going into the crazy with it and in this movie they really gave him a time to shine with that the first time he sees Leslie Jones and he's home like oh you know the uh, the workers will be the last to be destroyed in the fourth cataclysm yeah uh, I thought that was really funny so um, his character is interesting though because the bad guys in the first movie were uh, dead or off screen it was the cult of Gozer and the things they had been put into place we didn't really have a bad guy in the first yeah, movie, a physical yeah. person, but Rowan shows up in this movie and he's clearly, you know, the guy directing everything. Is he working alone? Is he part of a, of a, of some other kind of cult? You know, like I, I didn't, I'm glad they didn't tell me more because I want to see Rowan come back as a bad guy in the next movie. He was almost like an anti ghostbuster. He was a ghost bringer, you know, cause I he developed that. the traps that kind of like that. brought the ghosts in and, uh, but I want to know what the bigger story is. Like, mm-hmm. what was his? Uh, we know his ultimate goal was to make everybody like you know supplicants to him, you know, or kind of like rule over everybody. Uh, but is he part of like a bigger organization? I, I, I want to know what's going on with him. I know that Charles Dance was cast a little late into the game, a oh, little late he? in the game, and uh, a lot of people suspected that he was going to be the the big bad, if you will. If you cast Rose. Charles Dance, you're casting yeah, him as the big bad, pretty right? much. And sure enough, he was just there for a couple of seconds, but um. I think that's part of why uh, it stands out and feels a little strange is because in the prior films, we didn't have a bad guy that was presently with us. I mean, I think the most he got in that was Janos or... Yeah, and Vigo, yeah. But they weren't yeah. like really in corpor- uh, corporeal form, like causing trouble. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they weren't there from the beginning doing what they do. Yeah. Uh, let me see. <laughs> and that that's a very studio note thing. That's kind of, Studios love to have villains in movies. You know, I, I feel like that was when they're kind of like, well, we got this guy and he's he's causing ghosts to come around town. But I loved his little, the way that all of his tech looked. It was all very old. And that's kind of why I think there's more to his story. Like somebody had to teach this guy how to make these things. You know, that, that big thing in the basement of the uh, yeah. Mercado building looked like it was definitely designed by someone in a prior era. Yeah, all of his hardware, definitely. So here's the thing. In terms of references to... The original. Mm-hmm. All of the cameos I was fine with. I would have loved to have seen Bill Murray's character play yeah, let's, out let's a little bit Let's talk more. about these cameos, too. Okay. Um, yeah, Bill Murray's was hilarious, but I really thought that was something that was going to kind of maintain and stay through to the end. And, you know, it really wasn't. Dan Aykroyd's was come and gone. Ernie Hudson's was great. It was funny seeing him kind of have the last word yeah. in, the, in the whole movie. Yeah, and uh, you, you could definitely see him returning. Oh, as man, like, I mean, I the guy's that. funeral home is going to get haunted at some point, yeah, right? It's I got to. Definitely yeah, they're definitely planting seeds. I'm glad that they killed Bill Murray because he could come back as a ghost another one. But I thought his character was really funny. Oh, it was hilarious. You know, the, 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 way the, the debunker and he had the brooches yeah. on and all that stuff. He looked you know? like one of those debunkers, you would say. Yeah. And um, he, he didn't phone it in either. Right? He was definitely like playing it. You know, yeah. he was he was showing that he, yeah, yeah. He Seeing was uh, Annie Potts show back up. Yeah, yeah, what do you want? That was funny. Yeah. Sigourney Weavers was a little strange. Yeah, it was very weird. That that does feel like something that could kind of come back. Yeah. Um. But 
Uh, I also like Kate Dippold had a um, the writer was yeah, she was the real estate agent that was selling no trying kid. to sell the hook and ladder oh, yeah and awesome. she was great in that performance too. I <laughs> believe Paul Feig you heard his voice over the phone at one point yeah. um, Harold Ramis's reference uh, yeah that was, was great. great yeah it was a little that Easter egg cool. mm-hmm. okay so here's the thing on that mm-hmm. if you're going to make a different movie and you want it to be its own thing either go big or go home and they kind of went halfway with this. Uh, you think? Yeah, I do. Here's the thing. Um, the hook and ladder, you know, the original firehouse, Mm -hmm. is it just there for nostalgia or is that there because it should be part of the story? Should there have been a new logo? Should they have used the original theme in the opening or had something, you know, all their own? The new proton packs look completely different. That's Mm -hmm. cool. And they, and they looked good. Their new hardware looks good. The the fact that they had a reason behind the jumpsuits. Hey, we can't get slime on our clothes anymore. Let's do this. Whereas in the original film, they just suddenly have tailored jumpsuits. So I that was kind of an issue for me. Granted, I loved seeing all those references because I am a nostalgic, as dangerous mm-hmm. as that can be. Um, so I was okay with it. But out of principle, if you're going to make your own thing that's independent and stands out by itself, you need to... To go all the way or yeah. not at all. Like there were some weird things that they picked to be like, I, mean, I I understand them putting them back in the firehouse at the end because the, the end of this movie was really the beginning of the next movie. They didn't even have the ghost uh, containment unit developed by the end of this movie. They didn't catch and they caught one ghost and let it go. Like there, there was no other ghost traps deployed in this movie or catching of ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this movie was the lead up to say like, okay, here's where our next chapter begins. I loved the Chinese restaurant. I thought that was so funny oh, to yeah. have them above that the in Chinese restaurant. That yeah. was really funny. Uh, and just the look of it and how small it was uh-huh. and everything. Yeah. It felt, see, that it, felt Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, me. yeah, in, in spirit, which exactly. is a strange and, way to say it, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but having the firehouse at the end, if you're going to have it ghost core and their building is the firehouse, I think you kind of do need to have that. But this movie was half and half. It was kind of like, okay, let's, these things are going to be new. These things are going to be things familiar to you, and we're just going to try to push forward from here. And yeah. I, I, I'm okay with that. You know, uh-huh. I'm okay with the different. And it's so strange because that's part of what kind of, and I know this is not uh, a sequel to the original films. I do remember hearing that there was a chance that it was going to be a sequel and Kate McKinnon was going to be coming in, or, or you know, the new team was going to be coming in and building, uh, taking the patents of Egon and kind of building on them. And everything kind of made sense, but it was definitely just fanboy desire. Right. And, uh, and you know, hey, I would have loved to have seen this have surprisingly been a sequel. Yeah, I, I think ultimately that's I would have liked that also. If it was mm-hmm. like, hey, twenty five years later and there hasn't been any ghosts, this all this stuff is out of business and you know, all of a sudden there are, but these guys are too old. Yeah. But I understand that they they wanted to start fresh and make it their own thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they, uh, at maybe some contractual level, they had to cut ties with everything in the past and, and make yeah. it a, a new... And even even the characters that the original actors showed up as, it still might have made sense. Let's say Ray is sick of you know the unemployment of, uh, of having been a Ghostbuster mm-hmm. and his bookshop that he had in the second one tanked or something right. like that. So now here he is as a cab driver. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the the big fight at the end. Uh, obviously, they had to have their stand in for Stay Puft, even though Stay Puft did show up in the movie. I, I liked how they introduced Stay Puft as as a as a oh, ghost yeah, balloon. Was, I thought that was, that was pretty funny. 
I'm not really sure that I understand what a ghost is in this movie because they went to great lengths to show that there were actual ghosts of people who were dead. The whole like ghost of New York thing at the end was awesome where pilgrims came back and stuff like that. By the way, I just want to step back and say the ghosts in this movie look freaking fantastic. Like, oh yeah, the, they're the, product- the, uh, they're design work, the art yeah, design. Yeah. Their design work was amazing. Yeah, the the ghost at the beginning who was kind of the stand-in for what the gray lady was in the first one, yeah. the, the daughter, her whole setup and story and everything was great. She looked awesome when she turned evil and the spit the goo everywhere. That was really cool. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I don't understand why there was a giant Uncle Sam ghost at the end. Things like that. Yeah. Didn't really make sense. But then again, well, no. Let's see. There was an explanation for the craziness of and the randomness of why there was a giant marshmallow man in the first right. one. Uh, and and there was for when Rowan took over the the, the logo in this one, but I, I would have liked for them to say like I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it, it was it was cool that ghosts can possess people now because you can do a lot of stuff story wise with that. The you know um, uh, Chris Hemsworth character Kevin gets uh, possessed and mm-hmm. and and that was pretty. I hope I'm I hope that's his name because if it's not Kevin and I'm saying yeah, that okay, his name yeah. okay. <laughs> so um, I thought that there was a lot of cool stuff they could do with that, and also in future movies. But like when you have a giant Uncle Sam ghost, it's like okay, was there like can, can you give me like where 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 did that come from? Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, uh, I'm totally cool with it with ghosts being able to take over signs of stuff, you know, or you Mm -hmm. know, but um, I would like a little bit of explanation on that. I do think bringing us back to a different uh era in New York was kind of neat. I think we were back, I can't remember exactly where we were, and who knows, man, we may have like missed something about the Uncle Sam stepping out of some signage somewhere. I I, I don't know. It was just a little strange to Mm -hmm. have, you know, like Uncle Sam directing all the ghosts. But that final battle with the ghosts was a great way, I think, to make this final sequence of the film stand out from other movies. Yeah. And having the the government come in afterwards, too, and try to explain to everyone, like, oh, no, you're all hallucinating. Let me tell you, that was handled really, really well. How much did you love the mayor? Yeah, it was great. To have them come in and not just be, like, bad people who were anti-Ghostbusters, and that was it. The way they handled that was was great. It was like, okay, this is cool, but go home yeah, and, and stop it. I like them having Michael K. Williams, who's chalky, white, on Boardwalk Empire, and then um, Matt Walsh, who yeah. was in Upright Citizen Brigade, was really cool. But having Andy Garcia and Cecily Strong as the mayor and his... Yeah. A- a- Andy Garcia is actually pretty funny. Did I tell you one time I saw him kissing his wife in Disneyland? No. I did. Anyway, that's the end of the story. <laughs> Andy Garcia was sitting on a bench kissing his wife. Um, but uh, his whole thing about, don't ever compare me to the mayor from Jaws, was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Now, that was one of the uh, funnier parts for me, was when suddenly everything started to rattle in the building, <laughs> uh-huh. and there was just this sound of like doom that was getting really near it was just a dumpster being dragged yeah by. that, <laughs> that was, was really funny, funny. Yeah. or when Kristen Wiig's freaking out like holding the table and the guys are yeah. dragging her the guys are too late to get her like they let her like <laughs> talk for a long time see all of that was yeah classic Ghostbusters yeah uh-huh. it was maybe a little bit more but it was still in that same vein so and- are what we saying here is for this for the next one studio needs to lay off and just let them do their thing here's the thing I mentioned Jurassic World earlier mm-hmm. I think Jurassic World saw the promise of Colin Trevorrow as a filmmaker uh, really show his, his true goals. And I think the studio is going to back off and let him make his movie. So yeah. I think it's probably going to be the same case here. They're going to say like, okay, you guys turned in, y'all made a very successful movie that people seem to like a lot. Mm-hmm. Do your, you're proven, do your thing. So one thing that did happen in the end battle that really, I don't know if it took me out of the movie, but it just kind of, I wasn't too hot on it, was the fact that I am seeing Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy doing green screen work mm-hmm. in this kind of forced uh, emotional moment 
And I was like, what well, this is that's kind of where it just went off the rails for me. So I guess part of the character's journey for Aaron was the friendship with her with Melissa McCarthy that had fallen apart, right? Yeah. Okay. So there would have been a moment of, of sacrifice that she's doing to try to save her friend who screwed her over and published her book and stuff like that. But I felt like there wasn't enough road or connective tissue between what happened at the beginning of that movie and them being angry at each other and yeah. then at the end where she kind of sacrificed herself. It seemed like they were getting along pretty well for the other parts of the movie. I could see that it was there and that was one of the things that I really that gave the movie some integrity mm-hmm. was that storyline. Yeah. But it wasn't there enough for me right. to care about that moment. And I'm wondering if there was a version of the screenplay uh, that emphasized that more or maybe scenes that were cut out of the movie. Because I mean, you know... Movies with women as central characters, I think female friendships are uh, complicated and fascinating, and I think that probably that's what the screenwriter and the director intended that this movie I was going to be, be about. At and all. then they came, the studio might have come in and say, you know, we really kind of need more about the ghost busting parts. Which, in a Ghostbusters movie, you're not supposed to say that, but that was kind of some of the least interesting stuff in the movie for me. I have to agree, and like I've said, yeah, probably every episode of the show so far is the thing that um, I enjoy so much. You know. I enjoy most about the original film and the second one too is the just the guys just doing their thing and mm-hmm. their friendship, their connectedness in those movies. And I could almost watch that as the movie without the ghost busting. I think this movie was trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. in those studio notes, assuming that's what it was, or just the obligation of having to have, you know, action sequences and ghost busting and all that stuff in a movie called Ghostbusters. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's, it's kind of where it, I think that's kind of where the movie fell off for me. But the things that, that were there that did work for me were those relationships between the uh, the four girls. Well, this is Ghost Corps' first time up at bat for one of these giant franchise connected right. universe yeah. movies. And I think that they're going to have a little bit of growing pains. But I think there's enough for them to uh, uh, to fix and, and definitely in a sequel deliver on some of the stuff I wanted to see. But uh, again... I want to say this. I liked this movie. I'm going to go back and see it again. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell you what, even in here talking about it for this review, I'm liking it more than I did when I walked out and hell, I may even go out and see it as soon as we're done recording. (laughs) So it's, um, so let's talk about future movies then, because yeah. we ha- there's something like, I'd have to look it up, it's ridiculous, it's like five other movies that they have in some sort of de- development stage, uh, a cartoon uh, that is in some sort of development stage, and uh, we know that there's a, at some point, the Russo brothers were attached to make a Ghostbusters movie. Was that the one that was going to star Channing Tatum Channing and Chris Tatum. Pratt? Yeah. Th- that's kind of what the rumor was, but then it's so, it's Chris Pratt was also, I mean, excuse me, Channing Tatum was going to be a producer on it, but Chris Pratt has come out and said, well, no one's ever asked me about this. Yeah. You know, which, um, it kind of seems like that might have been a reactionary uh, measure to the ghost bros out there saying like, Hey man, you can't have chicks in my movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, that those guys are are hilarious. The Russo brothers did so many great episodes of community. I think they could probably do something pretty cool, but they're going to be attached to doing infinity war one and two and probably other captain American Marvel movies from that point. That's so right. I don't know what that project looks like right now, but there's something like five other movies at different development stages. Something like that. I hope that this isn't, just Sony and the guys of Ghost Core saying like, you know what, this is our money maker. Let's just see what we can do with this. And I hope that they're right. doing this for the integrity of what was the first movie. Yeah. If they're trying to take a swing at a, a connected cinematic universe, I think that this is far more of a hit than uh, Man of Steel was to that degree. Yeah. For Man of Steel, they were like, oh, let's you know try to make these Superman, Batman, Justice League movies and just kind of like really knocked it to 
you know, it, it got caught infield or something. Whereas this one, maybe not a home run, but definitely a very strong first showing out, I think, because of the personalities involved, because of uh, Paul Feig, because of Katie Dippold, and because of uh, the, the willingness of the previous cast to return yeah. and kind of give it their... I hope that I'm speaking on behalf of people out there Seal. who didn't really enjoy this one because I was kind of lukewarm with it. Uh, I'm definitely in- very interested to see where this thing goes from here. Mm-hmm. With these people, with this skill... Uh, this pedigree of actor and filmmaker, I can guarantee you wherever it goes from here is going to be uh, worth going to. Yeah. I don't think that they're just going to churn out a sequel for churning out a sequel. I think wherever we're going to go after this is going to be somewhere that is worth going to to see. I say turn on the money hose, you know, <laughs> send uh, Paul Feig and Kate Dippold and some other people out to Hawaii for a couple of weeks where they can workshop around a bunch of ideas. And then when they come back, have faith and what they've put together. Absolutely. Because that's, I think that's what I want to see. Yeah. But, um, so I, I kind of have a feeling that they may actually be able to tie this back in with the 1984 Ghostbusters because it seems to me like they've set up enough to where these things could be cross dimensional stories taking place in yeah. two different timelines that, uh, could possibly talk to each other. So, and I, I, you know, uh, apparently, um, Ivan Reitman, yeah, has come back recently and said that they're looking at possibilities of combining these all to one connected that's right, universe. I heard that, yeah. So, and you know, hey, this is a, to a degree, a science fiction story, a science fiction universe, and totally, yeah. things possible. So, yeah. Well, all right. You want to go ahead and wrap things up, or yeah. so. So, your your ultimate thoughts on it? Should people go see the 2016 Ghostbusters? Absolutely. I think people should go see it, especially people who are lukewarm on it or don't have any faith in it. And you know, go see it. Maybe you'll be surprised. I'll tell you this: it is worth the nine bucks that it is to see a movie. Yeah, I had a great time. I, I I came out of it, you know, talking about how funny I thought it was. I think the first half of the movie is a little bit stronger than the second half, but that first half is so strong and so funny. I was laughing almost the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah. there's a joke at the beginning of the movie where he says something about um, uh, anti-Irish security defenses something, at the house. Yeah. Like I was like cracking up. I was like, did I just hear that? Yeah. The face bidet is that stuff actually yeah. happening? What the hell? <laughs> All right, great. Well, that has been our review of the 2016 Ghostbusters. So in a few weeks, we might actually come back and talk about this movie again with some other people that saw it and kind of get their opinions on on the movie because we have some friends that have seen it and there's a wide spectrum of opinions on this Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. I think a roundtable discussion would actually be really cool. So maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll have a Patreon episode and, you know, get a couple more opinions on it. Absolutely. And but, if you want to get on that again, that is uh, patreon.com slash GB minute. Again, uh, that's a $1 subscription fee for uh, four premium podcasts. So if you like this, this is a little bit different from our usual format. Usually we're talking about the movie and it's a little bit more, uh, this is more loosey goosey, baby. It's just us. It's like bio digital <laughs> jazz, man. We're coming in. Well, when are we starting Tron minute, by the way? Oh, right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, you got anything else to say about the movie? No, I don't. Um, Go see it. I think until we do uh, a kind of a roundtable discussion or whatever, everybody just be sure to check back with us every weekday. This is Ghostbusters Minute, where we analyze and scrutinize the original movie Ghostbusters minute by minute. And uh, we hope everybody's enjoying that so far. Yeah, and if you've got an opinion on the show or you have any emails to send us, send it over to GhostbustersMinute at gmail.com. We'd love to read your opinions on the show and maybe share your thoughts in some upcoming minutes. So, again, uh, thanks you for, thank you so much for joining us for our first bonus episode. There are many more to come. I think we have some uh, ecto-cooler reviews that might be coming down the pipe pretty soon, too. So, uh, And then I think our next show is going to be us reviewing a few episodes of the Ghostbusters cartoon. So we'll post to our Facebook group which cartoons we're going to watch, which episodes. So if you want to go ahead and catch up on that and... Uh, so you can have your own opinion uh, against ours when that happens. Please do so. And again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we're here to tell you that death is but a door. Time a window. We'll be back.
Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a supporter, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gbminute. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, Instagram at ghostbustersminute, and visit our website at ghostbustersminute.com, where you can find merchandise such as t-shirts, stickers, and free balloons for the kids. Balloons subject to not being free nor real. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.